This podcast is marketing material for a South Africa investment professional only. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining our monthly Global Markets Perspective podcast. My name is Philip Robotham, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Eamon Shanks, Investment Director in our quantitative equity team based in London, who is also travelling to our shores uh, next month. And Eamon, is, is this your first trip to South Africa? It is indeed, Philip. It is indeed, and absolute pleasure to be here. And I mean, I think it's, it's no surprise to say, very much looking forward to, um, to the trip to join you there. Brilliant. Looking forward to having you. Um, and for more uh, information on any of the topics discussed on this podcast, please do not hesitate to contact your usual Schroeder's representative. Um, as always, we're going to spend the next 15 minutes or so discussing what's happening in global markets, focusing on the key investment themes, framing the investable landscape. Um, the mood of our clients, Eamon, seems to have changed quite a lot since the beginning of the year. There's there's more caution uh, there's some more concern. Um, it's, very, it's very much more notable now comparing the first and the second half of the year. Uh, obviously, thanks in part to SVB and the Credit Suisse uh, situation and, of course, ongoing central bank strategies conversations. But it does, there does also seem to be a sense of um, FOMO, the, the fear of missing out. Because um, if you ignore the noise and look at what's happened so far this year in equity markets, the MSCI world is up over 8%. The S&P also over 8%. Gold's reaching all-time highs. What, what, what are your expectations? What are you seeing? What are the key issues that you're seeing facing global equity markets for the remainder of, of 2023? I mean, exactly as you say, Phil, it's, it's actually amazing the strength of the rally this year, given a lot of the fears that, that are abounding in global markets. In terms of what, what we see, I mean, unsurprising to say, lots of uncertainty, lots of unknowns. And I mean, I'd say potentially one of the one of the biggest issues is too much too much optimism. And that's particularly when you're considering, as we just said, that strong rally this year. And what it means is markets, regardless of what happened last year, are not cheap on the whole. And the key question is whether valuations are really actually commensurate with the level of risk, whether it be stock specific or macroeconomic, that exists exist currently. And so, you know, as a, as a desk, we are concerned that certain markets, most notably um, the US market, where of course you've got those big tech heavyweights and a very large um, sort of online and tech presence in terms of the, the, the index weights, are trading at elevated levels relative to history at a time of profitability, of, of course, is at a risk of disappointing and being eroded. And what that really means, given, let's say, not cheap valuations, is the market, and particularly spaces in particular, are very vulnerable. Because without that valuation buffer, without that equity layer of protection, you're much, much more prone to, um, let's say, sharp share price reversal with any sort of disappointment. And in terms of those other risks I alluded to, there are, of course, the, the very clear and very obvious ones that we're all aware of, those that have been driving markets over the last sort of 12 to 18 months. And of course, what I thought what those are is hydrogen inflation and the path of interest rates, with, of course, interest rates rising at historical speeds to, to levels not seen in, well, certainly not in my sort of professional career. And while peak inflation is, you know, potentially, and it does appear to be behind us, I think you'd be you'd struggle to find anyone to say that inflation is, is no longer elevated. And the reality is actually the stickier core inflation remains high, 
remains very much above official central bank targets and is grinding down much slower than maybe predicted. And so slaying that inflation beast, if you will, has has not been done. And you obviously mentioned SVB and the collapse of SVB. And obviously now there's lots of fear around sort of commercial real estate. And the reality is with these much higher interest rates and what that has shown is there does exist some fragility and some cracks in the system. I'm not talking about the banking system. I'm talking about sort of corporates more broadly. And of course, there is, of course, that fear for a credit crunch. And we are we're yet to see or fully understand or fully appreciate exactly how the QE experiment of the last sort of 10 plus years and all of those years sort of free money and easy liquidity is going to end. And it's going to be a very, very tough balancing act for, for all the central banks globally because, you know, if we concentrate on the Fed to start with, they don't want to repeat the mistakes of the 70s. They don't want to do too little too soon. And then inflation comes back with a vengeance and creeps back. And again, they've got to re, re, um, re-battle that exact same monster. But then on the other side, you have the risk of over-tightening. And what damage is that going to do? And what damage is that going to cause? Not just in a, let's say, an economic or a market landscape, but obviously very much in a social landscape, because with deep recessions, that has very, very significant social, um, social considerations there. And then what that brings us to which is forefront in, I say, probably most people's mind, is recessionary risk. So at the minute, recession has been avoided globally, even amazingly in, in our home, home nations, Phil, of, of the UK. But, you know, it might have been avoided, it might have been pushed back, but the risk does remain. And so with, with recession, of course, we get a earnings recession. And so we can't completely discount the risk of recession either. And finally, if we move away from the economics and the market side of things, a key risk, as we saw last year with Russia's invasion of the Ukraine, is actually political as well as geopolitical risk. And that's not just things like potential China's invasion of Taiwan. You also have that huge deterioration in the relationship between China and the US and potentially the ongoing risk of a second, second Cold War. If indeed it hasn't already started, you've got increased protectionism. So the Inflation Reduction Act in the US is a great example of that. What does that mean for, let's say, profitability, corporate profits, as well as corporate operations over the over the near term. And let's not forget the debt ceiling in the US, which comes with the usual political wrangling and, of course, the increased sort of fears that causes. So on the whole, we'd say, I mean, I mean, poly risk is what you say, lots of risks everywhere. But then if you go on the other side and let's say, let's look at the benefits or the positives. And I mean, the reality is that though there are all these risks, economic data, continues to be robust, the consumer continues to spend, um, reporting season has gone so far fairly well. And so while there are all these risks, I mean, at the minute, the economy and all of the companies obviously operate within it do appear to be um, weathering them pretty well so far. Fantastic. Uh, That's a a really thorough summary of so many different things. Um, there's, a, there's a couple of points I just want to pick out of this. Um, let, we, we, we've talked about inflation, we talked about central banks, we've mentioned the Fed. The Fed meet next week. The, the market, the expectation is to raise rates again. So we'll be at just over 5%, probably a quarter of a percentage mark to 5.25. That'll be the highest it's been in 15 years and a very similar peak to the cycle of 2007. Now, I don't want to create any further alarm bells. You mentioned the fact that recession has been avoided globally, but the risk is still there. What, what are your views um, coming out of the US and, and, and their meeting next week? 
Um, I mean, we, we, we stay away from the game of um, interest rate expectation or plodding, plodding our own paths. I mean, the reality is, as you say, the expectations are for a 25 basis point increase. Um, the only reason really that rate expectations have de- decreased significantly more recently was, was really due to the SVB collapse and fears around financial stability. But what um, central banks are looking like, they're, looking like they're going to do is use interest rate policy to fight inflation and then their balance sheets to maintain financial stability. And given, as I've already mentioned, inflation is not beaten. You know, core um, inflation is still over 5% in the US. And of course, we know it's even higher in sort of Europe and the UK. That it would be unsurprising for that 25 basis point increase in, um, in the US. Very fair point. So if you then look at, say, uh, Europe, which is a much more complex vehicle with the various different member states, um, and currencies, et cetera. What's your view then coming out of, of Europe, given the, the the product that we have for distribution for sale within South Africa that you're representing when you're visiting us next month is our QEP Global Core Fund, given the views that feature and some of the uh, some of the sector holdings within that product, what, what's your overarching expectation for the for the European contribution to global growth? I mean, it's a great question because this, um, let's say this US versus rest of world story has been another one that's been sort of first and forefront in many, many investors' minds for, for some time. So not just that sort of value growth story, but also, of course, US versus the rest of the world, where over the last the last sort of 10 years, the US has by and far been, been the dominant market. I think it's been the strongest performing region in seven or eight of the past 10 years. And I mean, if, if let's answer this in the, in the simplest way possible, Phil. And let's use the strategies that we manage as a guide to say, where is that opportunity or where are those risks in the US versus Europe? And on the whole, we're underweight the US and overweight Europe, including the UK. So, I mean, that tells you very simply where we do find the better opportunities from not just a valuation standpoint, but from a from business quality standpoint. Because when you look across, let's say, that the various markets and regions globally, the reality is those stretch valuations, those, that multiple expansion has been focused within the US market. And it's the US market that continues to look expensive really across whatever valuation metric you decide, you decide to cut it with. Whereas the rest of the world, so when, and that's whether it be Europe, the UK, Japan or emerging markets, they're cheap and they continue to be cheap, whether you're looking at an absolute basis or indeed relative to um relative to their own history. And obviously, we mentioned how strong the markets have been this year. But that's, that's something that we shouldn't really let, let fool us. Because again, the reality is, in the US, and indeed, the world index given index concentration, the market has been driven higher by very, very strong performance of those index heavyweights, where actually the average stock has not participated as much in the years re-rating. And actually, the desk would, would say we're probably a little bit more cautious about the prospect for those larger stocks than we are about the, the market um, the market more broadly. But I mean, I'll finish by saying as, a, as an investment desk, we don't do top-down calls. We don't do sort of top-down allocation. And that's really whether it's regional sector. And we actually believe that actually making those sort of regional sector calls is going to be far more difficult today than it has been versus history. And what's much, much more important is an effective bottom-up assessment a focus on on the stock level opportunities, the stock level metrics, and using really a an effective 
and time-tested fundamental framework to allow those region sector allocations to build depending on where, where you find the most compelling stock opportunities. And that's what we believe is, the, is, is really the best way of dealing with that sort of region sector story. So does that feed it at the beginning of the call, the opening for your for your roundup, you talked about uh, the economic data has been robust. There's been a lot of positives in the market. The reporting season's gone well. I mean, I know we've, we've just started the US and European um, earnings reports and, and quite unbelievably sales and revenues are beating as well as earnings continue to be beating, which is which is stunning. And this this recessionary risk continues to be pushed um, pushed down the road. Um, when you're looking at the the quality, um, the, the the business quality opportunities that you're focusing on, and you've highlighted opportunities in Europe, you're overweight Europe, you're overweight the UK, but you're um, you're sort of loath, loath to give regional or sector specific responses, given the the, the background you've just painted. Where are those key inside of these these sectors? Where are these key opportunities that you're identifying? What's been really, really nice over the last few years, Phil, is we say that 2017 to 2020 market, and not to labour the point there, but it was extremely narrow. It really pushed valuations to areas that you hadn't seen before in certain segments of the market. But what that did mean is huge swathes of the global opportunity set were left behind, were underappreciated. And so really today, as well as last year, what that's meant is you have all of these very, very high quality stocks across the sector landscape that are also attractively valued. So if we say, where do we see the, the opportunity set and, and where, where is it? The reality is across regions and across sectors, there's lots of compelling opportunities where you don't really need to sacrifice fundamental strength and business quality characteristics um, in lieu of in lieu of valuations, indeed, you have to really sacrifice any sorts of characteristics for, for valuations because those opportunities do exist. Of course, what 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 we say is the key is breadth, and so in terms of an investment desk, why why we use those quantitative models is really to provide those fundamental insights at scale to allow us to look across the investable universe. As you know, it's about fifteen thousand stocks for us to find those opportunities wherever they exist, and of course. They might fall under the radar of some managers where they're more sort of concentrated fundamental. And of course, analysts can only cover X stocks, uh, X stocks uh, a year. Whereas for, for our process and the sort of the techniques we use, we're able to sort of find them, cherry pick them and build what are sort of very diversified portfolios, whether it be across our measures of value or quality, stocks, sector, region, which are really nicely blended. Because again, given the uncertainty that's out there, Phil, our view is it's that balanced portfolio exposed to a risk risk of stylistic metrics and of course as I said geographically and sectorally that provides the best um, let's say the best chance to weather a range of market environments and really generate outperformance almost regardless of um, of market condition. Brilliant so so given that given the opportunities wherever they exist and, and, and using your one screens where else are you finding good opportunities then outside of the US and Europe? So, I mean, outside of the US, outside of the US and Europe, of course, as I say, as I say um, emerging markets continue to be underpriced and there are some interesting opportunities there. I mean, in, in not just the global core fund, but in, in many of other strategies, we continue to buy into sort of Taiwanese and South Korean semiconductors. Last year, you had a, I mean, what you say is a, a severe sell-off 
in the semiconductor market. And what that's meant is many of these um, companies that are not only exposed to quite strong sort of long-term structural growth factors, but are also, of course, cyclical in their nature, given the use of semiconductors really in, in almost everything we use these days, we could buy that exposure at a very discounted rate. On top, on top of that, South African, South African miners. And I mean, we particularly like any which have um, exposure to the electric vehicle makers, whether it's sort of lithium or, plat or platinum or, or those sort of things. So emerging markets, again, is a very compelling space. Of course, in the global core fund, we can only take a maximum of two and a half percent, but that is still enough to generate some nice, some nice alpha. And you'd say, um, actually, emerging markets, not just on a valuation basis, but on metrics like higher growth in the developed world, um, better systems of corporate governance versus historically, a weaker dollar, etc. There are actually plenty of tailwinds behind that make it a, um, a competitive opportunity moving forward. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Eamon. I mean, in summary, it sounds like quality fundamental analysis is going to be even more important than it, than it traditionally always has been, given all of these risks that you've mentioned at the, at the top of the call. These risks are established and well known, but continue to, uh, to, to raise their heads. Look, thank you so much for your time. Um, is there anything that you'd just like to leave the listeners ahead of your visit to South Africa? Probably not rugby related. Um, in the run up to uh, in the run up to your visit, maybe just make um, make a note on make a note on earnings, Phil. I mean, you made you made the point that earnings have been robust and earnings this year have actually um, have actually beaten. And I mean, again, as a desk, we, we we tend to stay away from not just doing sort of the sector or region calls, but also we we tend to stay away from playing the, the forecast game as well. And earnings would, would would come under that as well. I mean, the reality is, twenty twenty two really did highlight. I suppose what I'd call the fallacy of forecasts, where they're often wrong, they're very difficult to get right. And, you know, during a period that we are today in terms of regime shifts and extreme uncertainty and an economic backdrop we've not seen in, in, in many years, those forecasts are going to be even more difficult. And the reality is where markets are priced, and we've seen it again over the course of this year and last year, any sort of disappointment to earnings is, is met with pretty severe, severe negative share price reaction. And, you know, we mentioned obviously companies beating beating this year, but again, analyst expectations and earnings expectations had been coming down through the quarter, which of course makes them easier to beat. And over next year, for the, actually for later in this year, earnings growth is expected to expected to increase quite significantly. And so we'd say that the earnings expectations backdrop again feels over optimistic, and it feels um, inconsistent. With, with let's say that the economic risk that we've we've already spoken about quite a lot in um, in this call and the reality is again actually our quality framework which we've mentioned about a couple of times has proven very very effective historically on reducing what we'd call torpedo risk i.e any sort of event which can have a significant negative share price reaction so something like a an earnings miss or a dividend cut and that side of things so what's really important is to ensure that that bottom-up assessment is in place because the losers and those who disappoint are really going to be the ones that um, that suffer the most significantly. So avoiding the losers, we feel, is as, if not more important than, than finding the winners. And again, with the diversification point, of course, it's, it's impossible to, to always win and to, to never lose. The diversification point, Phil, is 
you know, having around 400 stocks in the, in the portfolio and having a very broad, diverse set of opportunities means that you have a much, much lower chance of a single stock having an outsized impact on um, on portfolio performance. So the final point I'd, um, I'd, probably, I'd probably leave is, is that earnings, while robust, had an easier base to beat given, given downgrades through the year. Um, and earnings also look um, fairly fully priced in terms of expectations moving forward. So it's just the importance of, again, that bottom-up assessment in everything um, everything that you do. Thank you so much, Eamon. Um, thank you to all of our listeners. Looking forward to continuing to engage with you further this year. Eamon, we will see you in just over a week's time. Hand down the days, Phil. The value of investments and the income from them may go down as well as up, and investors may not get back the amounts originally invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance and may not be repeated. Schroeder's Investment Management Limited is an authorized financial services provider. FSP number 48998, registration number 01893220, incorporated in England and Wales. The information is not an offer, solicitation or recommendation. Any funds, services or products mentioned might not be appropriate for all listeners. Please speak to a financial advisor if you are unsure as to the suitability of any investment. The forecasts included are not guaranteed. They are provided only as at the date of issue and should not be relied upon. Our forecasts are based on our own assumptions which may change. We accept no responsibility for any errors of fact or opinion and assume no obligation to provide you with any changes to our assumptions or forecasts. Forecasts and assumptions may be affected by external, economic or other factors. Disclosures and risk factors. Collective investment schemes are generally medium to long-term investments. The value of participatory interest or the investments may go down as well as up. Past performance is not necessarily a guide to future performance. Collective investment schemes are traded at ruling prices and can engage in borrowing and script lending. A schedule of fees and charges and maximum commissions is available on request from the manager. The manager does not provide any guarantee either with respect to the capital or the return of a portfolio. The manager has a right to close the portfolio to new investors in order to manage it more efficiently in accordance with its mandate.